Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So I have this story here. Hang on, let's get to it. Fox News. A majority of NATO members will meet their spending targets this year. A majority, not all of them, but a majority of them, will meet their spending targets this year as member states grapple with the potential of former President Trump winning re-election in November. They're grappling with this. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg announced Wednesday, so today, that 18 of the alliance's 31 members are on track to meet their pledges of contributing 2% of GDP to NATO. They don't actually contribute 2% to NATO. They contributed to to the military. I'll get into the details on this in a second. But, like, it's not like our GDP is, you know, a trillion dollars, and so we'll take 2% of the trillion and, and throw it over here in, you know, in cash or gold bullion or something. That's not the way it works. European countries are on track to contribute $380 billion this year. Germany will meet its 2% pledge for the first time since the Cold War. So it, is this Donald Trump's doing? Right? Donald Trump, okay, so if if Donald Trump, as CNN reports, that he invited Russia to invade all of these other countries that aren't meeting their obligations, um, which I don't think he did, by the way. It's one of the, it's the same thing, like, with, uh, hey, uh, Russia, uh, maybe you should, like, uh, get Hillary's emails and, like, let everybody see her emails, ha, 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 like, that kind of a thing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, he's telling Russia to hack her. The again, like Trump makes these comments and he makes them as he does, and he's his own worst enemy because of the words he uses, the way he says this stuff. Yes, but on the other hand, you know, these people like their brains are broken by Trump, and you can't even hear what like he's not calling for Russia to hack them, he's making a joke about how her insecure server was hacked, how everybody already knows what's on the server, you know? Ooh, maybe that was the Russian capability that they're warning about today. Interesting. Got a message here from Russ. Pete, this might be a big ask, but given the topics so far this week, could you maybe highlight a congressional vote, a government agency, or something that isn't incompetent or corrupt? Uh, no. Sorry. Um, back to the Fox News story. The figures show a dramatic uptick compared to 2023, which saw just 11 NATO allies meet their 2% spending pledge. Okay, so you got 31 countries in NATO. 18 of them are on track to meet their obligations. And that is up from last year, which was 11. So you got seven extra countries. Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General, uh, said... Quote, that is another record number and a six-fold increase from 2014 when only three allies met their target. 
three in 2014. The change comes after Trump offered harsh words for NATO allies at a campaign rally last week, going so far as to suggest that the U.S. would not defend NATO allies that do not contribute their full share. Stoltenberg called on Trump not to destabilize the alliance. Wait a minute. Is it Trump's remarks that destabilize the alliance or is it the failure of the alliance nations to meet their obligations as a requirement to be in the alliance? Is that the destabilizing thing? Because I would submit it's the latter. I would say that if you're not meeting your obligations and you're relying on one country or two or three to carry the full cost and burden of your NATO obligations, that breeds resentment. That is destabilizing. Otherwise, what are we doing this for? Right? Why are we in an alliance agreement? Why did we sign a treaty? Why did we do this stuff and make all these commitments? And we're living up to our end of the bargain. And you guys aren't living up to your end of the bargain. And honestly, you guys benefit way more than we do. So why are we doing this? And that's what Trump came along and asked. Why are we doing this if you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do? And if you're not in any negotiation, if you're not willing to walk away, you have already lost. You've already lost. Because that's not a negotiation. Uh, Stoltenberg said we should leave no room for miscalculation or misunderstanding in Moscow about our readiness and our commitment, our resolve to protect allies. What Trump said, well, he told the story about how the president of a big country came to him and said, uh, we're, if we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? And uh, he said, NATO was busted until I came along. I said, Everyone, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? And I said, absolutely not. And they couldn't believe the answer. The statement triggered a response from the Biden administration that called it unhinged. And then said, you know, Biden's presidency is a return to normalcy, which it's actually not a return to normalcy because NATO is now being funded at a level it's not been funded at. Right. So a return to normalcy would be three countries meeting their obligations, not 18. And, of course, the Biden administration is saying that this is a return to, quote, normalcy, even though it obviously is not the normal standard but then claims credit for why NATO is now the largest and most vital it has ever been. Now, I would submit that it's not because of Biden, um, and I'd say that some of it may be due to Trump as well when he was president, but also I think a lot of it probably has to do with Russia. (laughs) Russia's invasion of Ukraine probably has gotten some of the surrounding countries a little bit on edge that – Russia might try to invade one of them next. So, hey, you know what? Why don't we, uh, hey, yeah, why don't we start uh, funding this uh, this thing? Why don't we, yeah, why don't we, why don't we take this more seriously? How about that? Uh, so here's the audio of what Trump said at the, uh, at this rally that got everybody all upset about uh, NATO. Now, remember, he is retelling a story, so I should say, he's telling a story. And the story casts him as the master negotiator. 
as all of these stories always do when he's telling them. We were already into Ukraine for over $200 billion. And they could make a deal with Russia in the next three weeks, and all of a sudden they don't want to deal with us anymore. We've given hundreds of billions of dollars. And why are we at over $200 billion? And the European nations are, if you add them up, it's a very similar-sized economy. They're at $25 billion. So we're at $200 plus, and it affects them much more. We have a thing called an ocean between us, right? It affects them much more. Oh, is that what that's called? But we're at 200. Oh. They're at 250. I did the same thing with NATO. I got them to pay up. NATO was busted until I came along. I said, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? I said, absolutely not. They couldn't believe the answer. And everybody, you never saw more money pour in to Secretary General Stoltenberg well, I don't know if he is anymore, but he was my biggest fan. He said, all these presidents came in, they'd make a speech, they'd leave, and that was a bit. And they all owed money, and they wouldn't pay it. I came in, I made a speech, and I said, you got to pay up. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. And the money came flowing in. All right. So that's the uh, that's the comment that's got everybody all outraged. Guys, I'm going to make a I'm just going to I'm just spitballing here. Is it possible? That Donald Trump says a bunch of crap. Is that possible? Donald Trump might be lying to you about the negotiation. Ta- All right, let's say he wasn't lying. Let's say w- that he said that exact thing. By the way, we know that that wasn't true. By the- we-, we do know he didn't say that to the president of a big country. It was the European Union head, chief guy, whatever. It was the EU. Somebody from the EU asked this question. And let's say he said that to that guy. He got them to pay. Right? Right, as here, look here, you might call it the art of the deal, right? Just spitballing here, but might that be the art of the deal? Uh, Bill, welcome to the program. Hello, Bill, how are you? Billy, you, Will, Bill, Bo, Brad, Chad, Joe, Jim. Mm, no, wait, no, that's me. No, that's me. I can hear myself. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what Bill is doing there. He's listening to the radio. Stan says, Pete, just like you, I'm just spitballing here. I've been trying to figure out who's actually running things. As we know, it's not Joe Biden at this point. Could it be that Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance was purposeful? And he's actually hiding out as Jill Biden. After all, what better way is there to run things behind the scenes than if people think you're dead? I think Jimmy Hoffa would be like 100-something years old, though, at this point. Um, Tim says, oh, Russian threat. Well, here we go again, a mysterious threat. We're going to have to pass all the import, the all-important Ukraine bill. Um, yeah, Joseph says, let me guess, that serious threat will be substantially diminished only if we pass the $95 billion for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, right? Um, yeah, like that's, that, that, that's where my mind goes, too. Uh, Yeah, Mark says, uh, would this also be the art of the deal? The White House says that that this is an unhinged statement 
And then they, of course, say thanks to President Biden's experienced leadership, NATO is now the largest and most vital it has ever been. Um, going back to this piece from 2019, so five years ago now almost, or four years ago, uh, with the NATO summit wrapping up, President Trump continues to complain accurately that some allies like Canada are not spending 2% of their GDP on national defense. By the way, this is the meeting that Trump was talking about there. Okay, so this is from 2019. There's really no good excuse for any member nation failing to hit their 2% threshold. In the most current report from NATO, the U.S. spends 3.42%. Bulgaria spends three and a quarter. Greece spends two and a quarter. The U.K. and Estonia both spend 2.14. Lithuania is at 2.03. Latvia, 2.01. Poland hit 2% right on the dot. But a bunch of other NATO countries are below the threshold. Turkey, uh, sorry, Turkey, uh, France, Norway, 15 NATO countries are below 1.8%. Canada, Belgium, Spain, Luxembourg. Um, what makes the low percentages particularly infuriating is that NATO allows countries to define military spending pretty broadly. You don't have to spend it on fighter jets and tanks. If you want to spend it on search and rescue operations or disaster response or radar systems, right? You could do it pay raises for military personnel, pension systems. They all count. Ammo for training, petroleum products, spare parts, rents, engineering equipment, transport vehicles, research and development. All of that counts towards your 2%. So come on, guys. Right? And if every president goes in there and is like, hey, up your spending, and they're just like, up yours. And you're like, you know what? Then uh, why are we doing this? Right. If you're not ever going to walk away, if you're never going to threaten to walk away and you know and have it be a real threat, then you're not in a negotiation anymore. Uh, speaking of the Russians. Um, I know some people were like, oh, did you see the uh, Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin? Put? No, I did not. Um, I might at some point if I have, you know, what was it like an hour interview or so if I have an hour to kill and I've got nothing else to do. Um, I might watch it. No promises, though. But I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what value I would derive from watching Vladimir Putin's interview. Oh, but Petey talked about some stuff about like some historical stuff or whatever. Oh, and the contrast with Joe Biden. Like, I don't need Vladimir Putin running his mouth uh, to know that Joe Biden is uh, mentally infirmed. Right? That I, I, I don't need to. I don't need any juxtaposition. In order to see the decline of Joe Biden, okay, fully aware of that, um, and uh, like the historical reference points for why he invaded Ukraine, yeah, you know what? Still don't care. Don't care about any of that either. Like I might watch it if I have some time to kill, but no. But here's the thing: I used to enjoy watching Tucker Carlson. I've actually I've, I've watched pretty recently some of the various interviews that he's done since he went out on his own. Um. I'm starting to wonder about him, though. I'm starting to wonder about him. And I don't really have any kind of, f like, fully formed opinion on this. I just, I, there's something going on, and I don't know what it is, and I'm starting to have thoughts of wonderment. They're, they're wonder thoughts, if you will. And this is the clip that does it. Because at first it was like I'd seen some different things he had said or whatever, and I'm like, um, whatever, I don't know the full context. I'm not going to go watch it. So, and I just move on. But this one, this is pretty, 
Well, here, take a listen uh, for yourself. This is the leader of the country. Who, of course, he's at. Hang on. He is at. Uh, he's at some like international global summit or something, and he's on stage talking to all these world leaders. And I think this is in Dubai. Okay. Simply the leader of the country, who of course is impressive. It's the largest landmass in the world, and it's wildly diverse linguistically, culturally, religiously. It's hard to run a country like that for 24 years, whether you like it or not. So an incapable person couldn't do that. He is very capable, and many of you know him, and you know that. What was radicalizing, very shocking and very disturbing for me was the city of Moscow, where I'd never been, the biggest city in Europe, 13 million people. And it is so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. My father spent a lot of time there in the 80s when he worked for the U.S. government and barely had electricity. And now it is so much cleaner and safer and prettier aesthetically. It's architecture, it's food, it's service than any country, city in the United States that you have to, and this is not ideological, how did that happen? How did that happen? And at a certain point, I don't think the average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of, of the society? He's talking about Moscow and how Moscow, the city of Moscow, is so much nicer than any city in my country. Really? Any city? So every city in America is crummier than Moscow. Hmm. See what I mean? Like, huh. I wonder why somebody would say that. (laughs) Is it, have I been wrong about Moscow? Has Moscow undergone some massive renaissance over the last, what, 10 years or so? Look, I've never been to Moscow. Um, there was a brief window uh, after the fall of communism where uh, my family might have been able to go to Moscow. But see, with a last name like Kaliner, uh, we were always told if you show up in the USSR uh, with your last name, probably some agents are going to drop an envelope on the sidewalk in front of you at some point. And when you pick it up, they're going to bring you in because your name has ties to Russia and they're going to have questions for you. So we just said, you know, as a family, you know what, let's not, let's not go. We don't need to go to Russia. And from what I've heard, and especially growing up with the USSR and all, never really had a desire it's just not uh, not my jam, you know? I have a bit of an anti-authoritarian streak, a bit of a contrarian streak to me, in case you haven't noticed. And so, from what I understood at the time, the Soviets were very, very uh, anti-contrarian, if you will. Right? So Moscow, according to Tucker Carlson, is so much nicer than any city in America. And he says he had no idea. It is so much cleaner and safer and prettier aesthetically. It's architecture, food, and services than in any city in America. He says, how did that happen, right? He asks at the end of that clip, how did that happen? How did that happen? Charles C.W. Cook, he says the simplest answer is it didn't. It did not happen. He said, look, I understand. I dare say Carlson had a nice time when he visited Moscow as a rich foreign tourist 
who was being carefully minded by the Russian government, he was undoubtedly exposed to the Moscow that its champions wanted him to see, right? And that city, I would wager, is pretty swell. But still, better than every city, every city in America? I mean, that idea is ridiculous. Cook says, I have been to Moscow. I have also been to most of the major cities in America, and there is no sense in which Moscow could be placed at the top of the list. By the way, if you actually ran the numbers on Moscow, uh, it would it would be like like the poorest city in America <laughs> if you did the comparison. But I digress. There's a small part of the place that is rather pretty. Thanks largely to the mafia, uh, a few good restaurants have popped up, but the rest of it remains as bleak and moribund and soulless as it was during the Soviet era. It is a museum, and an ugly one at that. As for the food and service that Tucker considers superior to that of the United States, he says, what rot? Forget New York, New Orleans, Charleston, Chicago, San Francisco, Atlanta, or Las Vegas, right? Forget all of those cities. The food and service are better in Milwaukee than they are in Moscow. Walk into an average joint anywhere in America and you will likely leave pleased with your drinks and your meal. In Moscow, not so much. He called it clean and safe and then made a comment there about the subway. Cook has a response to that. All right, do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out all right let me go over here to the phones here let's talk to bill hello bill welcome to the program hey how's it going hey all right what's up hey i want to let you know i've been to moscow i've been to ukraine kiev ukraine and i gotta tell you tucker he, he he's really and i know he didn't specify but i can assure you he is referring to those famous liberal cities detroit philadelphia baltimore you know, New York, those kind, those places are a disaster. Now, it is incredibly safe in Kiev, Ukraine. Well, prior to the war, and mm. actually, my friend went there during the war. So the city of Kiev, beautiful, amazing food. Russia, Moscow, gorgeous place. It, it has gotten better. Yeah, on a gray, rainy day, it looks a little yucky in certain places. But the food, the food's different, but the food's good. Mm. The service is good. He's got a point. Now, I I don't appreciate him glamorizing and glorifying either Putin or communism. And I've also been to Cuba over the last three years. I went on a birthday trip with one of my buddies. That is incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. It's a disaster. The people have nothing. It's dirty. And it's just really, really, really sad. Russia and the Ukraine, the people have a little bit more, but it's very clean and very, very safe. So I think that's really the point. And regarding, you know, whether or not you want to listen to Putin's interview, I personally don't have an hour right now to listen to it, but I kind of want to know what the guy's thinking. The problem with that is 
from what I understand, he just went on a dissertation about history. Mm-hmm. He never really answered questions directly. Mm-hmm. So that's really the issue, you know, with his with his uh, you know with his interview. Right. So you think Tucker Carlson only meant certain cities, not every American city? Well, he had to. I was in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Let me tell you, it's not only gorgeous in the areas where I was, it's also gorgeous on the outskirts. So I would say Las Vegas doesn't qualify. Uh, Boca Raton, Florida, definitely nicer than Moscow. So I get what you're saying, but I really feel as though he hammers the blue cities mm-hmm. and how they have decayed. Same right. thing with Trump when he's on tour. Trump does the same thing. I mean, we look like a third world country in certain parts of New York, Baltimore, D.C., you know. Mm-hmm. So he, he, you got to kind of take it with he's kind of drumming up his, his interview. If yeah. You will, so, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes over to Moscow. Uh, he does this interview uh, with uh, Vladimir Putin while, you know, other journalists are rotting in jail for covering stuff in, in the dictatorship uh, that is Russia. Um, he goes over. He gets the tour. He says in front of a world delegation, he says to them that that city, Moscow, is so much nicer than any city in my country. I, I bet you, and I feel as though he would like to have those words. He'd like to have another shot at that. Yeah, comment. well, yeah, because maybe, because, maybe, well, maybe he I mean, does. If you're in, a, if you're in a, any type of debate or debate stage with respect to that, then he, he's going to get... He, going to get defeated on on that merit yeah i would think so too uh but he's a professional broadcaster you know uh and he's been doing it for you know 30 years and so i would and he he gets up there knowing what his message is going to be i think that that was an intentional thing that he said now maybe he walks it back after the backlash that that, that's fair and if he does okay we'll see bill i appreciate the call um but no I, i i don't think first off i don't think what he said was true but also i don't know even if it you know, even if it was a nice city, and I've not been to Moscow, so I don't know. Um, but even if it's a nice city, I don't think it's something that you go and tell wor- the entire world after you had this sit-down interview with the dictator, the former, you know, KGB guy that you know probably murdered a whole bunch of people in order to get to. I mean, with the apartment building that was blown up and all that, like probably murdered a lot of people so he could become the leader of the of Russia. Um, I'm not sure that you go and try to do him a solid by crapping on your own country. That, like, to me, that's my beef. Is you're going over there and telling all these world leaders that this one country in or this one city in Russia is better than every other city in your home country. What this is what I said. Like these, this makes me wonder. I have some thoughts now that I did not have about Tucker Carlson. He said Moscow is clean and safe. And Charles C.W. Cook says when he was there, it was neither. Moscow has a chronic homeless problem. At night, you see people warming themselves by lighting fires inside of discarded oil drums. It's teeming with petty crime. I saw an old lady push down a flight of uh, stone steps by a beggar. I saw a black teenager punched for no obvious reason, although we could probably guess why. And my father and I were mugged on the ornate subway that naive visitors always gush about. It is true that none of this would have happened to us if we'd been there to interview interview Vladimir Putin. But that's the point, isn't it? 
When you're a guest of the government, especially of a totalitarian government, you're treated to the full girlfriend experience. This sort of thing only happens when people forget who they are and start looking elsewhere for inspiration. He then talked about the Pew Research Survey that I mentioned the other day about whether people believe that the United States is the greatest country in the world, one of the greatest countries in the world, or not a great country at all. And what he says is what bothered me more than the Democrats' indifference towards America. I mean, we kind of knew that already, right? That was not a surprise. That's their brand, right? But what was surprising and discouraging was how many Republicans, how many Republicans said America is not the greatest country in the world or one of the greatest countries. Charles C.W. Cook is an immigrant, and he says, I believe all the stuff about America that immigrants are supposed to believe, and I believe it unashamedly and unironically. And with him, I am with him on this. I do, too. Having traveled widely, it seems profoundly obvious to me that far and away, the best place to live in the world is the United States, and that far and away, the best time to live here is right now. So, no, it doesn't matter. Like, however clean Moscow might be, you're still living under a dictator, under a kleptocracy, a thugocracy, an oligarchy. So, no, Moscow's not a better place. Not to me, at least.